and slowly start delegating the tasks, starting with one and working your way up. Because wouldn't it be an amazing life if all day you got to be in that eight to 10 range? Well, that's exactly what extremely successful entrepreneurs are doing. The difference between you and Warren Buffett and Beyonce isn't that they're able to stay up longer than you and work longer hours. It's that they spend higher proportion of their time in, in a really great area of their unique ability. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, real quick before we get started, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the show and for listening uh, to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, continuing to listen and support the show. If you can go on to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen and subscribe to the show, that would be fantastic. Spread the word too. I'd love to, you know, have this reach more and more people. So if you could share it on social media or, or, or and just talk about it to other people, that would be fantastic. And the last thing is if you can go on to iTunes and give us a rating review, uh, hopefully five stars, that would be great as well. It just helps us spread the word more and it helps us get continue to get uh, really good guests on the show. We've had some fantastic guests and I just want to be able to continue to bring fantastic value to you. Go on to our Facebook page too, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page. And I'd like to hear from, from you as a listener of you know, what you're doing in business, what you've got going on, what you are maybe struggling with or uh, being successful with, and then what we can do on the show to help push you to that next level. Maybe uh, questions we can ask our guests, maybe guests that we can get on the show to talk about certain topics, certain things that are really neat, you're needing uh, some, some extra support with. So provide for us some feedback on Facebook, um, and you can also share this out on, on social media. That would be fantastic as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being a, uh, being a either new listener or a loyal listener. I definitely appreciate it. And we will get started with the show. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me today, I'm excited to have Hunter Thompson with uh, Cashflow Connections. Uh, Hunter, how are you doing today? I am doing awesome. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Hunter is the founder of Cashflow Connections, also the host of the Cashflow Connections podcast. Uh, with that, Hunter, his company has raised over $20 million from private investors. And I will let Hunter give our listeners a little bit more about you know his background and where he came from. Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks again. And, you know, I, many, many people out there were told that if you invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that you were going to be diversified. I had a really scary experience in not 2008, which is what most people talk about for, for me, 2010. 2008 for me was the green light. I was just really excited about capital markets. I knew that because people you know, the old adage, when blood is in the street to invest. So that's really when I started my investing career, what I originally jumped into was stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And everything was going well. We started to receive a recovery. 
And then 2010 happened. And when I say 2010, I'm talking about the European debt crisis. The reason that this is important to me is it's very similar to what happened in 2008, but in Europe, the European central banks froze up. There was complete lack of liquidity in the market. And I had all this capital invested in stocks and thinking that I was divided by just being across the S&P 500. And yet everyone in CNBC was talking about the Greece bond yields. And they were saying, if the Greece bond yields stayed below 7%, the S&P 500 was going to be fine. If, but if the Greece bond yields went above 7%, the S&P 500 was going to collapse. And this for me was that last straw moment. I remember thinking, after all this research I've done, after all the time I spent analyzing different companies and trying to make a bet on value investments like Warren Buffett told me to, the Greece bond yields now are playing a massive role in my financial well-being and in my financial future. How is that possibly the case? And more importantly, how could I have mitigated this? How could I have predicted this? And that's when I really started to go on a quest to find more straightforward investment vehicles in which the risk can actually be mitigated. So you're not predisposed to completely unmitigatable, complicated disasters that no small company can really mitigate. And so that's what eventually led me to real estate. And so then with real estate, kind of, kind of where, take us through where, where you're at right now. What do you, what's your focus? Sure. So right now, you know, we've been focused on commercial for quite some time. Um, I've invested in virtually every type of real estate transaction that exists, but recently, and I'd say recently the last three years or so, the focus has been mobile home parks and self-storage. I really like those asset classes because, you know, I studied economics in college, didn't learn much in terms of real world application, but I did learn that the study of economics is incredibly broad. And there's so many data points that you can really use that data to create whatever thesis you want. However, there's a couple of data points that are so broad in terms of the implications that they're very difficult to argue with. So for example, the baby boomer population, everyone has been talking about this and you know, there's 10,000 baby boomers hitting the age of retirement every single day. Many of them are relying on social security. Very little of them you know, have enough for even three months of it. So the problem though, is that the average social security check is about $1,300 a month. The average two bedroom apartment rents for about $1,200 a month. So it's mathematically the case that a massive portion of the economy is going to be downsizing, is going to need affordable housing. And so I think that that one data point creates the beginning of a thesis around self-storage business because of the downsizing and the mobile home park business because there just isn't a lot of available options in that $400, $500 a month range that are not mobile home parks, at least not for the tenant base that we want to work with, which is people that prefer to own a home because they actually own the home on the property as opposed to rent, you know, a D-class apartment. So, you know, I can go on and on, but that was kind of our current status. Now, I've invested in virtually everything and my, my first loans, my first investments were hard money loans. Really straightforward asset class. I mean, back then, again, there was no liquidity in the market, 2010, 2011. And we had the opportunity to lend money on properties as they're being flipped let's say there's a $100,000 property in a non-volatile market like Memphis, Tennessee, 
we could loan up $60,000 on that $100,000 property and still get a low to sometimes mid-teen interest rate on that property. And I was thinking, wow, this is incredible. Um, I can't believe everyone's not doing this. And there must be some sort of disequilibrium taking place in order to allow this to happen. Well, I was right. And that opportunity has basically come and gone. But long story short, um, I realized that the simplicity of the investment did not allow for there to be massive, massive profits over the long term. Now, that situation with the liquidity was short-lived. And now there's a lot of liquidity in the world of fixed and flipping, et cetera. Hard money loans rates have gone down significantly. But when you think about the asset class itself, you know, single family, for example, its barrier to entry is quite low because of the simplicity. It's one house. There's usually one tenant or a family. If the tenant is there paying rent, you're making money. If it's not, um, you're not. And because of that simplicity, it allows for a lot of people to get involved, which is awesome. And it's great to help people get out of the stock market. But for my personality, I wanted to work in slightly more complicated commercial assets where you can get things like economies of scale. You can get things like million dollar loans. You can get extremely sophisticated individuals. And that's when I really fell in love with the syndicated model where you rely on an expert's expertise, their access to credit, their ability to raise millions of dollars, their systems. And um, I'm a huge proponent of the passive investment vehicle because of that. Just get to spend time doing the things that I love. Just so happens that I love to talk to investors and raise money myself, but anyone can do that. So what are some strategies that then you incorporate to be able to, you know, basically find investors, cultivate those relationships and, uh, you know, be able to get these investments funded? Sure. So, you know, I'll tell a quick story about my first capital raise. So I had originally started with my own personal portfolio and built up a pretty good track record in terms of being able to deliver in terms of projections. And I really liked the Mobile Home Park business. This is early 2014. Decided to create my first fund of with a Mobile Home Park operator. So we joint venture with an operator and we're going to create a fund with them and or at least participate in their fund. And we made an agreement that said, you know, this is the contract. This is kind of how we're going to work this. And you have to bring at least half a million dollars to the table to make this make sense for both of us. And I said, well, look, I've got a track record. I've got a good family and friends, people that are probably going to trust me. I'm going to throw a lunch in and I'm pretty confident I'll raise this money in 24 hours. So I threw a lunch in and about 30 people came and the place was packed. And I went through this PowerPoint, talked about the people that I work with, talked about the incredible opportunity in mobile home parks, which I mean, back then, five years ago, it was very different than it is now. I was the only person in the room that knew anything about investing in mobile home parks. Now it's usually not the case, at least in the circles that I'm in. But after that luncheon, you know, there's a piece of paper that said, if you're interested in investing, write down the amount that you want to invest in and just put it in over here and I'll contact you so I can follow up and get the documents closed and everything. I raised a total of $0, <laughs> 30 people, These are people that trusted me. And I, I thought that, you know, we had a great relationship and of course they came because out of that trust, but I had to scratch and claw my way to 350,000. And with about two weeks left, 
I randomly met a friend of a CPA of mine and that one individual ended up randomly investing an additional $150,000. So we hit $500,000 right on the nose, but it was horrifying. And, you know, just going to that moment as an entrepreneur where you're like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Like, I thought I had built a business. Really, I had just built up a track record for my personal portfolio and that didn't cross over. So, you know, I can talk about, you know, what has happened since then. It's really simple. Just years and years of work putting yourself in a position rather to go around chase and chase people who aren't already in your tribe, so to speak, to put yourself in a position to capture those leads, to really create an infrastructure so that people are attracted to you. That is what I spend a lot of my time doing because especially when it comes to the world of investing, if you're trying to convince someone to have a pseudo religious experience and change the way that they've been investing their whole life, which has worked out pretty good for them, you're going to be knocking your head against the wall thinking, why do these people not trust you? But in reality, it takes years and years and years to pull back some of that propaganda that people have been taught since they're very young. So, you know, how I do this is I have a combination of a really great uh, authority platform. I have a podcast in which I've been able to interview a lot of industry leaders. You know, we have an extensive follow-up campaign where I have a newsletter that's every week, a podcast that's every week. Investors get a quarterly report and we have an annual conference. And I think cumulatively, those represent a large infrastructure so that people are attracted to the things that I say because of the content that we put out in the media. And then that lead nurture campaign begins to start. And, uh, you know, I can go into some detail as far as how I created that campaign, but generally speaking, it's about attracting rather than hunting, uh, especially in the world of investments. Yeah. Uh, I like the, I like that story uh, that you told, because I think a lot of investors struggle with that. I know when I did my first raise, it was, it was just under a million dollars and I thought, well, this is going to be easy. It, it shouldn't, you know, no problem. Um, and I couldn't believe the struggle it was to raise uh, that money. Uh, and, and I ended up, the same thing, I ended up doing it, but it was like scratching and clawing all the way to that, that amount of money. And so definitely takes a little bit more than I think a lot of people think right away. We think, oh, we, we can do it easily. Uh, I, just, I know people, uh, so it should be easy. People trust me. Um, so let, let's, uh, let's exactly. talk, let's talk about, um, you know, your business and, and, uh, how you've been able to actually grow and expand it. Uh, take us through some advice on, you know, how do you operate a business successfully in order to expand? Well, first of all, I mean, for, one of the benefits of real estate is that you can do it with a small company. Um, there's a lot of solopreneur real estate entrepreneurs out there. And I think it's incredible in terms of freedom. I just absolutely hate bureaucracy. Um, I don't have a lot of, or any real true experience in the corporate world. Um, I was an entrepreneur at a very young age and had some success in that, which allowed me to, you know, create a real estate company, et cetera. And generally speaking, I don't like the idea of, you know, I hear stories about the corporate world where there's these endless meetings and no one really cares and half the people shouldn't even be there. That has just never been my life, nor can it ever be. And anyone that works with me knows that that's just 
not the way I like to live my life. Um, additionally, though, uh, because of that, um, I get to pick very carefully with who I work with. So the people that I work with are really in my culture. You know, they, we created a culture that is about getting results and it's not about how much time is on the clock. And, you know, I think that for people that are at home that are thinking about how to build a team, if you're just getting started and you're a solopreneur, let's talk about just kind of the, the segue and how it works, you know, starting when everything, all that matters is hustle, right? There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of books out there that suggest that all you have to do is hustle. Now, for most people, that's actually true because the reason that most people don't achieve things that are extremely noteworthy is that they really don't try hard enough. However, uh, for many of the people listening to this particular podcast that are interested in, in nuance and ideas that are outside the typical spectrum, that hustle is only going to get you so far. It's not going to help you accomplish your goals um, in terms of taking it to the really next level. In order to take it to the next level, you have to multiply your efforts. In order to multiply, you have to have a team. Now, if you're just in that early stage, I think that something that anyone can do, anyone listening to this do, is get an assistant. And that assistant can help you do a variety of tasks. Um, if you're just getting started, I think that doing things like having an assistant or a task rabbit, do things like build IKEA furniture or clean up the house or handle your scheduling or even your travel. Now you're working your way towards making that assistant more of an executive assistant, kind of an administration role. That is a great first step because it helps you learn a skill that has nothing to do with real estate, which is outsourcing and truly delegating. Um, I recently read a book, which I think is extremely underrated, which is called Clockwork by Michael McAlowitz. I actually just had an opportunity to interview him on my show. But the, the key takeaway of the book is that there's a really big difference between deciding and delegating. What most people call delegating, it's actually deciding because you say, okay, here's, you know, we're doing, talking to your marketing manager, for example, you say, look, I really like you to create this PDF, call me when it's done. And what do they do? They don't call you and say, here it is, it's done, it's perfect. They call you and they say, do you want it to be green or blue? Do you want it to have your headshot in the right or the left? Should you use this font or this font? And you're constantly deciding, you're basically doing the job for them. So what I think is really important is as you increase, you know, your proficiency as an entrepreneur to learn how to truly delegate tasks by giving people big picture context and having them have accountability and own the entirety of the task. And so what's going to happen is that they're going to blow it the first few times because they've been relying on you this whole time. Just let them know that that's totally expected and that it's not a problem, but to continue to give them really positive and uh, honest feedback and you'll grow them into one of you. And that's the one thing that people don't want to admit. Entrepreneurs in particular, they don't want to admit that other, thing, other people can do things as just as good as them. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to realize, but it's just the case. I mean, especially when it comes to, like, I'll give you a perfect example, sales. Guys, you're the CEO of the company. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the head salesperson. And that is probably the hardest thing to delegate because who can tell a story better than you? Well, I'll tell you who, someone who's better than you at sales. <laughs> and so that hurts to hear. But if you're really concerned about growing a team and expanding your business, um, you know, truly delegating higher and higher in tasks are important. Um, just another quick tip on that. If, if you want to figure out how to best spend your time, um, take 30 minutes a day for the next week and write down every single task that you do during the day. 
imagine that someone was recording you. So there should be somewhere between 30 and 40 tasks that you're doing on a daily basis. And then categorize those tasks in order of your proficiency at them. You can either do this on a scale of one to 10 or there's a mother metrics out there. But as you order them, let's say one to 10, with 10 being something that it's your unique ability, the type of thing that you would love to do all day, regardless of how many zeros there are in your bank account, and one being something that you probably shouldn't be doing, put those in order in Excel, then sort by the one through 10, and slowly start delegating the tasks, starting with one and working your way up. Because wouldn't it be an amazing life if all day you got to be in that eight to 10 range? Well, that's exactly what extremely successful entrepreneurs are doing. The difference between you and Warren Buffett and Beyonce isn't that they're able to stay up longer than you and work longer hours. It's that they spend higher proportion of their time in, in a really great area of their unique ability. And their unique ability happens to be very profitable. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, great advice. I like the uh, taking that 30 minutes a day and write, or write what you do and then grade that too. And actually take and grade that so you can understand, okay, what, what are the tasks that I, that I like and I'm good at? And what are the tasks that maybe I don't like as much or I'm not as good at? A hundred percent. And you'll be surprised, by the way, in the way that you actually spend your time. I think people have a misconception in terms of how much time is doing things that are really menial. You get caught up in endless email responses, and there's ways to mitigate that as well. But I'd say that doing a true time analysis will help you a lot in your business because you have to track what's important. And uh, your time is the most important thing as an entrepreneur. Yep, absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and I want to mention a few things. First of all, I've been doing some coaching and I want to continue to kind of expand that slowly and, and take on a few clients. And, and up until recently, I didn't really believe uh, in coaching and, and uh, you know, taking courses and stuff like that. But I recently, or I shouldn't say recently, it's been, it's been a, a few years now, hired a, a coach and saw a immediate results and have been very happy with it and decided, you know, as my teaching background, I wanted to do some coaching myself and help other people get the results that I was able to achieve. And so if you're at that point where you think that's the spot for you, or maybe you just want to explore if it's right for you, uh, you know, reach out to me, I'd have a free discovery call with you. We want to make sure that it is the right step for you to take. There might be other things that you can do to get success uh, and coaching might not be it, but let's have that discovery call to find out if that is uh, the step that you need to take. So it can really make a major impact in your business and get you to that next level. Uh, the other thing is John Stiles. He's on this show every single week uh, with me on the Hump Day Hustle. And John Stiles is a real estate agent in, in Minnesota, and he will help you find a good, good investment property. John is very knowledgeable and can help you find an investment property. It can also help you sell your investment property. So reach out to John Stiles with Bridge Realty and uh, connect with him. He'll also, you know, consult with you and, uh, and make sure you guys are the right fit. So uh, give him a call if you're in Minnesota, reach out to him. Uh, he'd love to help as well. Back to the show. So Hunter, what's, a, what's one of the bigger mistakes you've made in business uh, or, or recently, I guess, and how have you learned from that? 
Wow. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, that initial challenge that I faced was, that's a short version of that long story. You know, I was really dead set on being a real estate entrepreneur and I got a, I, I really created a company around investing in single family houses and did a lot of marketing for that and did not have any success. And I was talking about anyone that could throw me $20,000, I was really happy about. And I could basically, I basically created this entire uh, website, this entire business, this is back in 2010 or so, and had very little success because of it, very little results. Um, I think that the big problem that I had, the maiden mistake that I was making back then was I wasn't being authentic because that isn't even how I was investing. And the challenge there is that if you're being inauthentic, it's going to come through in your messaging, but more importantly, people are not going to know what you're being inauthentic about, but they're going to know that you're being inauthentic and they assume the worst because of that. So anyone that's listening to this, um, it's always good to really, I would say, you know, the words meditate, but it doesn't necessarily need to be that in the formal sense. Try to figure out what is most authentic to you and the money's going to start to roll in. Um, I'm an investor in an early stage startup. Well, it's not early stage anymore, but it was back then called Thrive Market, which is a, it's basically a competitor, like an online version of Whole Foods that sends non-perishable goods to people's houses. And it's a 25% discount or so. Um, that company, when they went out to raise money, um, there was two of them. One of them I'm friends with, his name is Nick Green, got a perfect score on the SAT, started an educational company and end up selling that company. The other, comp the other co-founder uh, is Gunnar Loveless. He comes from a very different background. You know, he got a GED to come out of high school, and I believe, um, I'm not sure if he graduated college, I think he went to community college, community college, then he started a company and then he sold it. So these two people come from very different backgrounds. When they went to raise money for their company, um, Gunnar was extremely self-conscious about his background because he's sitting there next to someone who got a perfect score in the SAT. He's sitting in a room full of VCs that all went to Stanford and Harvard and, and Yale, et cetera, of course. And, you know, he wanted to guard that reality of his background. And that guarding was very not well received because again, they assume the worst. They assume he's going to commit fraud. They don't know why he's acting weird, why he doesn't want to talk about where he grew up and stuff like that. And the moment that he started to embrace that reality, the fact that he grew up on a hippie commune where they shared food, it started to be part of his story. Like that's why he wanted to start Thrive Market so that people could share food so that people that were in low income areas could have access to great food. As soon as they started turning that around, um, you know, they had one of the largest series B's in the history of the United States. Hmm. I mean, they're up there with like Airbnb. Like they had to raise first, their first round of money had to come from basically friends and family and influencers before the term influencers was really used. And then they ended up blowing it completely out of the water because of that authentic messaging. So I think it's a really powerful message. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for someone that's trying to get to that next level, uh, you know, they're, they're, maybe they're just starting and they, they want to be successful. They want to run a, a, a good business, or maybe they're, you know, somewhere in between uh, and they just want to get to the next level, or maybe they're already successful. A lot of people want to continue just to push forward. What does it take to get to the next level? Man, uh, a lot of focus. That's the one thing. That's the answer to the hustle. 
paradigm. So the hustle paradigm says go as many directions as you can, as fast as you can. And what's going to really happen is you're going to work 16 hours a week for about three months and you're going to burn out and you're probably going to give up because it's way harder than you anticipated. Well, we got good news and bad news. Number one, there's another way. Number two, still going to be really, really hard. And you probably want to give up anyway. <laughs> but the way to overcome that is focus. So again, going back to that unique ability, identify what your true goals are in your career and reverse engineer those goals so that you have a very time sensitive way to accomplish them. So for example, if your goal is to buy 10,000 units and you want to do it in five years, you know, 10 divided by five, et cetera, and figure out how many units you need to buy on a quarterly basis, or at least what you need to do in order to create a pipeline, which allow you to accomplish that. And so I would suggest that making really large goals, reverse engineering them accurately, giving, making them time bound, and so you have something to do on a daily, weekly, quarterly, annual basis, and you're starting to really create that focus. And what I would do is once you have that goal, you have those actions to take, I would block out significant time blocks every single day or during full days, multiple times a week to accomplish those goals. So for me, I like to do at least an hour and a half to two and a half hours of deep work, focusing exclusively on what I think will take my business to the next level. Uh, Deep Work, by the way, is a great book by Cal Newport. I'm sure a lot of you have read it, but I'm just going to reemphasize that. It's 100% a must read. So focusing on whatever's going to take your business to the next level for that hour and a half to up to three hours. You know, for example, I start working at 7.30 in the morning and I don't answer emails until 10. I'm always focused without a problem from interruptions on doing things like creating great content, identifying great guests, creating unique questions to ask great guests, or doing interviews such as this one. And that to me is a big portion of my business. Um, if you do focus on those things in those extended period of times, I think you'll see how quickly in a quarterly basis your business will scale. And that's really the whole point. I mean, there's a little ticks that, you know, for example, I don't have my, my phone doesn't on do not disturb from 10 PM to 10 AM. That's awesome. I do no phone call days every Friday. So I can only focus on things that are really important to me. Um, if I'm doing in-person meetings, I will do all of them in one day in the same location. Um, I also use a scheduling app called schedule once, which allows people to instantly see all my free times and select something that works for them. Um, those little tips and tricks, those may save you 15 minutes a day. That 15 minutes is really important, but what's more important is that underlying focus from an hour and a half to three hours. Yep. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I was finding myself very distracted uh, within the last year. And I did exactly that. As I, I said, you know, from, from um, I do a lot of morning routine and then I got, I put my kids on the bus and the second my kids are on the bus from that time for two hours, I'm focusing on my main you know, growing my business and what that's going to be. I don't look at my emails in the morning until that's all done. I don't answer my phone, nothing. And it's really helped a lot. And so I definitely couldn't agree with you more. Wow. That's great to hear. I mean, that, that's good to hear. It's not for everyone, right? Some people claim that they have to absolutely answer emails in the morning and stuff like that. So it's honestly good to hear. And you obviously touched on the morning routines too. I'll just suggest to the listeners, um, take a listen to most of the successful people out there. They mentioned those things that he just mentioned. If you're not doing a free routine, I'll give you a great risk reward as an investor. It's free. 
Whatever your morning routine is, the cost benefit is crazy. If you're just going to sit in silence, if you're just going to drink water, if you're going to do something like yoga or whatever, have a protein shake, all of that stuff, that routine, um, you're not going to lose much if you just give that a shot. And and answering that email or not answering that email, it's, it's just fine. Yes. Same, same thing with the voicemail, you know, say all that stuff. It's just fine. It's just people can, people can wait. A lot of people are used to uh, being answered right away. But if you train them that you're not going to answer them, you know, the second they send the email, they'll be fine. You're never going to miss an email that is going to make you a million dollars. Right. And you certainly may miss an opportunity to make a million dollars if you're doing something in deep work that's interrupted by an email. You can all, if that email is truly going to make you a million dollars, you can always respond 30 minutes later. Yeah. It's always the case. Yeah. And so that's my suggestion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what, what, uh, what are some goals moving forward? Where do you see yourself going uh, with this company? Well, I mean, generally speaking, we've got a lot of growth to do. Um, it's not hard to make a dent in the industry if you have a really solid base of investors that trusts you and wants to reinvest with you regularly. So um, we've got about 270 credit investors that have actively made a bet on us, something that I take very seriously and am <laughs> very honored to be in that position. Um, you know, if we can get that number up to 600 investing let's say $70,000 on an annual basis, you can do some real damage in this industry in terms of the non-institutional space. I mean, that's $40 million of equity. And if you're using debt when you buy real estate, like most of us do, you know, it's about $150 million worth of real estate you can buy every single year. That is remarkable. Now, in order to do that, you have to be really strategic and remember that this business can be extremely lucrative, but you just don't need to, as long as you avoid blowing it once. And so I'm extremely cautious about where we are in the cycle. I'm extremely cautious about the types of investments that we make right now because of that implication, because of all you have to do is not blow it and you have a great career. So, um, you know, we'd like to get to 600 investors by the end of 2020 and be up in that, you know, capacity to invest $40 million in deals that we believe in that, of course, our compensation is based on performance. We don't like to work for free. So that's one thing. And the other thing, you know, I'm getting married in about six months. I'm extremely excited about that. That's obviously a goal of mine. I want to have a relationship with my current fiance and future wife. That is extremely healthy. Um, She's an entrepreneur as well. And so for any of you couples out there that are uh, exclusively entrepreneur couples, you can know that there's some highs and lows of being an entrepreneur where you're like, I'm going to sell my company. I'm the richest man in the world. We're going to be rich. And then you start to just like implement whatever policy you're thinking about. And it becomes way harder than you think. And you start to have that crash and you go, Oh my God, I'm going to sell my company. Oh my God, I can't even sell my company because it's worthless <laughs> to do that in a couple when you're going through different cycles at different times can be really challenging. So, you know, I want to be really cautious about that. And um, generally speaking, again, I, I really love entrepreneurship. And I mentioned, I'm really grateful to be able to come on the show and I love inspiring people of all different age groups to either take a side hustle or become a full-time entrepreneur. I'm very much a free market type of philosophical libertarian. And I think that entrepreneurship is the best way to bring a ton of freedom into your life. That's why I love real estate so much. It's the most freeing vehicle that there is. And 
So those are some of the goals. And, you know, these are things that I think about every single day. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's good. You're, you and your, uh, feel future wife will have a lot of fun both being entrepreneurs. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> You mentioned the market, uh, you know, you're aware of the market and where we're at. And, and with that, you know, obviously 2019, uh, we haven't crashed. We continue to go upward, but uh, I think most people are cognizant of there's, there's going to be some sort of correction, you know, but eventually sometime in the future. We, we don't know when, uh, if you know when, let us know. Uh, what are you doing to help protect uh, your investors, what what kind of things are you doing to make sure that those investments are good investments and that you can continue to, you know, build your company, you can continue to uh, bring investors good deals? Well, I, I like the way you phrased that because it's really about protecting investors. Um, the first thing that comes to mind when people talk about protection of principle, as an investor, I think the most important question you can ask as a follow-up is what does the debt terms look like on the deals that you're investing in? Because when it comes to losing principal, it always has to do with debt. 99% of every horror story you've ever heard about, about loss of principal in real estate, it has to do with debt. Debt coming due too soon, interest rates rising too quickly, um, the two inability to refinance because the loan to value is too high. And so for us right now, we're extremely cautious about getting really conservative financing. Uh, we have a fund, for example, that the current loan to value in the fund is about 58%. We underwrote at about 65%, which is kind of close to the industry standard, which I think is a little bit conservative as well. But 58%, that shows you where our incentives are. It's about protecting investor capital, despite the fact that the compensation is heavily weighted towards performance above a preferred return. So that's you know the main thing that comes to mind. I think it's not talked enough about it's usually not the market, usually not the physical assets, not a matter of the property being born or started in 1980 as opposed to 1990. It's about the debt portion. Additionally, we've taken a really defensive stance for the last four years in the mobile home park and the cell storage business. But all types of real estate do well when the economy's booming and the capital markets are loose. So it's important to identify and have some exposure to certain asset classes that perform really well during recessions, because then you're getting kind of the best of both worlds. My portfolio is heavily weighted towards the mobile home park and self-storage business, but I think it's a good idea to have some exposure because of that whole cyclical uh, nature. Um, but building relationships as well is important. Um, it's not just about the real estate, but the relationships you have, because those friendships are going to be the ones that allow you to solve problems when things go south. So that's kind of on the bad side of things, right? I mean, it's all about protection. It's all about principle. It's all about those conservative debt terms. But, and I think this is equally important when it comes to your, your fiduciary duty to investors, looking in on an Excel sheet, it's really important that they be able to be consistently invested. And so I was kind of pondering this. We're building up this massive investor base. I mean, not massive, but uh, I'd like to build up a massive investor base and simultaneously being extremely cautious about the types of deals we invest with. So you're juggling this thing where you have, as an entrepreneur, you want to go and scale and growth. And then as a real estate investor, you want to be really cautious. So thinking about this, I reached out to three people that have been guests on my show. All of them have a half billion dollars under management or more. And every single one of them had to reschedule the call because they're in the middle of the closing. 
Hmm. And I thought that's extremely telling. Um, they have a similar perspective on the space than I do, but they have to be active because they have a duty to their investors. They're a real estate company. You have to look, you have to find deals, you have to build relationships to access deals in this environment and also to handle problems when they go south. So I think that cumulatively will probably give you a good understanding as far as where I think we are in the space and what I think investors should do. What do you say to that investor, that company that says that we just can't find any good deals? Well, um, first of all, I respect that, to be honest, um, because I think that is something that's not said enough. Um, but it's important to be active. That doesn't mean actually doing deals. That means in the pursuit of. So because you have to work, right? I mean, you have to do it. It doesn't mean you have to actually close them, but you should be building those relationships. You should be networking. If you're not in late stages of due diligence on something, that frees you up to do other things. So you got to fill that pipeline up now more than ever. And um, comparing things like other particular investment properties, yes, it may be the case that, look, I invested in a self-storage facility not too long ago that generated a 28% return in a fairly stabilized asset. We bought the property 85% occupied, raised rents, cut expenses, fired a property manager, et cetera, and got a 28% return net to investors, not gross. That's hmm. insane. Yeah. Now I say this not to set expectations, please don't call me trying to get in on deals like that. <laughs> but so maybe those days are gone, but in terms of getting to that 11% range, that 12% range, I think that's still achievable. And you compare that to what the potential downside is, which if you're structuring the debt, like I was talking about earlier, okay, 4% range, 5% range, a true downside protection, in my opinion, uh, compare that to the other available opportunities out there. And I think that real estate still is hands and feet above, you know, the other options. Yeah. I'm biased, of course, but you know, that's my justification. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, but I'm biased as well. So <laughs> uh, we're going to have, we got a couple more questions before we end here. Um, you've mentioned a couple books. Uh, what's, what's one of your favorite, uh, business or, or real estate books that you've read, uh, you know, within the last year or so? Well, uh, look, there's a ton that people talk a lot about, so I'll try to avoid those cause I like to give people new suggestions. Um, I'd say that double double is really great. It's written by Cameron Harold. Um, he is one of the most important people in my life. I don't know him personally, but that book is extremely dense about how to double your business in less than three years. Um, he also is the co-author on Miracle, Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs, which talks about first creating a morning routine and then talks about some of the things that they discuss in Double Double. I think that reading first Miracle Mornings for Entrepreneurs and then following up with Double Double really reemphasize the exercise that they go on. I mentioned Clockwork, which is awesome, Deep Work as well. Um, and you know what? I'm going to throw one out there that a lot of people have heard of, 10X by Grant Cardone. That book, Grant Cardone is obviously a character that some people like, some people hate, whatever. I'm the kind of person that I can get a lot out of something from someone without taking in their whole entire worldview or everything that they've ever done or everything they've ever said in their lives. <laughs> 10X is incredibly powerful. When I read that book, I thought, man, I don't want my competitors to have. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, I don't want my competitors to think like this. Yeah. Um, so if you can, because for me, the, the key takeaway there was, Making extremely large goals is important. I've talked about that. A lot of people have talked about that. But what I think is more important is mentally preparing yourself for 10 times the challenges, needing 10 times the capital, having 10 times the problems. Um, 
thinking that it's not going to be easy because that's the main thing that I got caught up with in the beginning of this interview was just thinking that I was going to be able to raise that 350 grand or 500 grand. And um, if I was prepared for the challenges, that'd have been fine with me. I mean, you, people talk a lot about um, visualization and thinking, I'm going to go into this race. I'm going to do really well. I'm going to win the race. I'm going to celebrate with my friends and family. Well, I think it's just equally important to visualize things not going your, well, your way and overcoming that adversity. If you're speaking or if you've got something to do like that, where if you're not prepared mentally, you get up there, the microphone doesn't work, it's too hot, half the people have left in the middle of your speech. You have to be mentally prepared for that. So you have to visualize that and then overcome that. And then when it happens, you're safe at home and you've been there a million times. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Well, I think number one is family. And I am in the early stages of creating a family. Like I said, I'm engaged and I think that's once I'm married, I think that's the smallest definition of a family at that point <laughs> in terms of my own family. Um, I'm really happy about that. I'm really excited about that. Um, I like being a positive influence on people's lives. Um, that's why I like to do speaking engagements. I also, that's why I like to help people protect their capital uh, because of you know, the kind of experience that I have in, during the European debt crisis. And entrepreneurship. Like I mentioned, I think that entrepreneurship is, you know, I can touch real freedom. We have this entire massive government, the federal government, the state governments, the municipalities, the massive taxes, the implications of people talking about 70% tax brackets and stuff like that. Um, you can completely almost eliminate that from your personal life by having a side hustle or being a full-time entrepreneur. I mean, I live in a completely 100% no holds barred free market economy in my apartment <laughs> with my fiance and um, we have a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Uh, well, Hunter, I appreciate you joining us on the show uh, and spending time, you know, with us. A lot of, lot of great tips, a lot of great advice. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can learn more about me at cashflowconnections.com. You can also, if you're interested in learning about some of our perspectives on investing, you can shoot me an email at info at cashflowconnections.com. I'll shoot you some interviews that we've done and a couple of eBooks. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. Well, again, I appreciate you joining us on the show and have a fantastic rest of the day. Hey, thanks again for having me on. Hey, special thanks to Hunter Thompson. Appreciate him joining us on the show with uh, Cashflow Connections. And he talks about a few things that I thought were, uh, you know, definitely key things that we should all be doing in our business. So first of all, he talks about uh, creating a culture in your company, creating a certain culture in your company. Um, and whether you have employees or not, it's important to do so right away. Uh, you're going to be talking with people no matter what. doesn't matter if you have employees or not employees, you're still going to be talking and communicating with people. So creating a culture is really important. The next thing I thought was really good, and this is especially good for the beginner, but honestly, it's good for anybody in any position because we're always wanting to optimize our time and we're always wanting to try to increase our dollars per hour and you do that through hiring people and so he talks about just taking 30 minutes a day or you could even do less than that probably not even 30 minutes but taking 30 minutes a day and writing down what you did that day 
and then grading those things one through 10. Simple as that. Take the ones, the twos, the threes, and get rid of them as quickly as you possibly can. Then take the next ones, the fours, the fives, the sixes, get rid of them as quickly as possible. Maybe even get rid of the sevens and the eights and, and potentially even the nines. And if, if all you're left with are the top things that you enjoy doing, uh, you're going to have a lot more success. You're really going to enjoy every single day a lot more if you can actually get rid of some of the stuff you don't like. So uh, a fantastic way to, to do that and just go through a very simple process, but can easily be done. And that way we can create job descriptions and hand that stuff off to virtual assistants, assistants, um, you know, other people that can just be part of the business and be part of a team. They don't even necessarily sometimes have to be employees either. Uh, the last thing he talked about is being authentic. And I think that's extremely important. Uh, try not to obviously be fake. None of us like that. And you're eventually going to get found out anyway. So be authentic. It's just, it's the best way to do business is to be yourself and eventually your true colors are going to come through. So do it from the start. Um, anyways, that's, that's it. Uh, he, it was a great interview. So go back and listen to it again and, and pick out the, uh, you know, pick out the important stuff that you learned from it and write those things down. I always encourage people to write this stuff down. Uh, a lot of these podcasts, a lot of you are listening to, you might hear it, you like it, but you don't write anything down and then you don't implement it. So make sure you're implementing this stuff. I think that's extremely important. Podcasts are only so good if you're not going to implement everything, anything. So take time and implement this, write things down, review it, and then put it into working action in your, in your business, in your day-to-day -day life. If you can just do one thing each day, you're going to expand your success. Uh, it's going to be amazing at the changes you can make in your daily life and in your business within a few months. Uh, if you can just do tweak one thing, just slightly better every single day or every single week. So uh, that's it. I'm Todd Dexheimer. I'm signing out. Hey, make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.